Today's podcast is sponsored by Sonos. For the first time ever, Sonos is offering listeners of Bald Moves Game of Thrones podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product at Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code GOT10, that's capital G-O-T-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we are doing our spoiler edition for 706 uh, Beyond the Wall. What, what do you got for us this week? So are you surprised to find out that Danny can't bear children as a show watcher only? Uh, that's It's really hard to separate my experience on the spoiler podcast from right what on. I know about the show. Okay. So. No, I'm not, but I might see some viewers being. Because I'm trying to think back of how, because I wasn't even sure if the 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 infamous Miri Mazdur prophecy from the books was actually in the show. And I looked up, and she, when you know, Danny was set, asking her frantically, like you know, when when can when will Cal Drogo be normal, or when will he back back the way she was? And she says, when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east. When the seas go dry and the mountains blow and the wind like leaves, and then she, that's that's where she ends. And the book it continues: when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return and not before. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing about this is in the books, um, a lot of these conditions have come true. Uh, at the end of Dance of Dragons, Danny uh, is kind of like where she was before uh, the 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 Kalasar picked her up in last season. She's out in the middle of the kind of the wilderness. Uh, she's living with Drogon. Uh, she might be sick because she's suffering from dysentery and she's throwing up this green substance. Um, hmm. She's hallucinating because she's kind of starving and dehydrated and she's living off the picked bones of like Drogon's dragon horde and. Uh, she, but arguably, all the conditions of this prophecy have been met at this time because the sun set, rises in the west and sets in the east. A lot of people think that was fulfilled when Quentin Martell, house sigil of a sun with a spear going through it, went from Dorne to to Marine to try to uh, form an, a marriage alliance with her. Hmm. Uh, when the seas go dry in this chapter, where she's kind of wandering in the wilderness, the Drogon, the Dothraki Sea, which is the grassy, yeah. had started to turn and die uh, because of the change of the season. And when the mountains blow and the wind like leaves, a lot of people think this is referring to the mountain dying. Um, and then it says, mm-hmm. when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, at the end of this chapter, she wakes up one morning and her thighs are covered in blood. She's got the first period she's had hmm. since she was pregnant with uh, Regal. Mm-hmm. So, Arego, um, a lot of people think that, you know, this is kind of poised for her to be able to have children again. And what was interesting about this big deal, I guess, coming up with, with, with Game of Thrones is somehow the television show is taking this barren 
uh, plot line with Danny and making it into a thing. Yeah. But since in the show or since in the books, it seems like this prophecy's already come true from a certain point of view, and she's at least you know resumed having periods. I don't know what to make of it. Because everything you can say about the the sunrise, like there, the sun rising in the west sets in the east, that never really happened. Not um, in the show, yeah, yeah. So I I wonder I wonder how they're going to make her womb quote unquote quicken again, or you know, it just seemed like with all the emphasis on her not being out of children and how John is thinking about having children at the same time, that's going to be a thing. But they had ha- at least half the prophecy in the show, but they haven't done anything to really show anything but maybe the mountain dying as as a way for these prophecies to kind of come fulfilled in the half-ass horseshit way the prophecies often do. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's, that's tough to say, but you're right. They're clearly making it a thing. Yeah. And since it wasn't as big a thing in the show versus the books, they can just have her... Because like, I was kind of mildly shocked when she started asserting I can never have children. Like, when... When did mm. she figure that out? Yeah. Like, I don't think it's ever been a plot point thus far. Maybe not in the show. Um, anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. Also, I thought with this, this red shirt phenomenon, we know John went out with uh, seven guys with himself, and there was five red shirts yeah. that eventually get killed. I thought it was interesting because um, the last hero of Legend, the one that sought out the... the um, uh, well, I'll just read from uh, Old Nan's scary stories that she told in the dark. <laughs> so as cold and death filled the earth, the last hero determined to seek out the children of the forest in the hopes that their ancient magics could win back what the armies of men had lost. He set out into the deadlands with a sword, a horse, a dog, and a dozen companions. It's, it's, I, I try to, hmm. to, to old Roy it up there. Uh, I feel like that the red shirts not only let them just kill a bunch of people and artificially raise the stakes of the encounter, but also kind of in a very low key way gave some, some homage to this uh, reference to, it makes John explicitly the last hero. Right. Which Um, where's their horse? I, right. Where's the horse? Bingen brought it in. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's why I said he couldn't come with it. Make it, it'd make make it unlucky 13. Yeah. Uh, and also where a lot of people say, where's the dog? You fucking have ghost. You can, we got the hound. That's true. I mean, you don't need ghost. You got, the that's hound. true. You already got the dog of, of the, to fulfill that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And throughout this episode, I was really, cause like, cause again, I, I said that, and I was being honest that like, I thought John could die. Mm-hmm. And if he did die with Danny kind of like, you know, being kind of the light bringer and that she was torching up this army, I was thinking, well, maybe she is actually Azora High because, you know, they had that mention of the prophecy in Melisandre, where was, I guess it was Miss Sandy explaining the, the genderless nature of that particular noun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but now, like, the fact that they're making this uh, allusion to the last hero of John, that kind of makes him more of the Azora High character. Of course, as we've talked a lot already this season, it could be that these are not three prophecies referring – three separate prophecies referring to the same character. It could be three separate prophecies referring to three separate people mm-hmm. that will come together to to solve the problem of the Night King and his army. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's sort of what that prince was promised um, technicality sets up. Mm-hmm. Um, because Melisandre, I think, still believes that John is the one, the prince that was promised there. Mm-hmm. But 
at the same time, like she also believes that Danny has some role to play in this, right? Right. And she could be, you know, the, one of the many other prophesied figures here. Yeah. Those are things I've been thinking about. Like, what does Danny and being able to have babies have to do with the end of the show? And what does, you know, John running around 12, 12 companions north of the wall have to do with the show? Yeah. Uh, let's move on to listener feedback now. Josh F. said, Aaron is correct about Longclaw's eyes not opening. <laughs> There's nothing to that, according to Alan Taylor, who directed the episode. What Our, does he know? Yeah, right? He just shot the damn thing. <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> He's covering up the truth. Fake news. Uh, our buddy Kim Renfro interviewed him on The Insider, and he says, That's so funny. Someone else mentioned that to me, and I haven't got a clue what they're talking about, he said in the interview. Watch your damn episode. <laughs> I can say there's no intention for that okay. to be the case. That, in this case, being uh, Longclaw opening and closing his eyes. Right. Kim suggested Longclaw was slightly frosted over when John emerged from the lake. It was splashed with water, which then ran down and washed away the frost, and Taylor seemed to agree. So that's a good theory, and I'm going to go with that one until I look at it more closely and figure out what's going on. Yeah. So I, I went back and looked at it again, and you're right that he doesn't touch it, but I can see where Kim is saying that there could be a rivulet of water that just ran down the center that gave it. Because it almost, it's almost too perfect. It almost looks like a pupil. Yeah. Like, it does look for all the world like <laughs> Longclaw is opening his eyes, and there's some kind of weird anamorph thing kind of going on here. But, yeah. Uh, and... That wasn't in script, nor was it the director's intent to, to show. Right. Uh, so if it's a thing, <laughs> it's a deep, deep cover operation from the Double Ds. All right. Uh, moving on. Kyle H. My overall thoughts on this episode are positive, but what's driving me crazy is the discussion of the Night King and his identity. Are the Night King and the Night's King, the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, the same? No. No, they're not. The show's already established that Night King is created by the Children of Forest and Desperation Move to defeat the first men who were driving them to extinction. That happened before the construction of the wall and before there was a Night's Watch, so the Night King and the Night's King cannot be the same person. I I, I feel like this is this is where Game of Thrones can be really super confusing at times. Like with right. all the similarly named characters and the, the strange names of places and like I, <laughs> I feel like they do this a lot where coincidentally things are named the same well, if or, or damn near the same. Well, like it's funny because like in the books, Theon's sister is Asha. Right. And the wildling woman who's played by f- f- whoever the girl from the, the, the uh, shit, what was her name on Harry Potter? I, Whatever. How would I know that? Nymphadora. Uh, sure. Yep. Because she's a nymphomaniac, I think. Uh, right. She was as Asha. Asha yeah. and Osha, Asha, and Asha. Yeah. Uh, and they changed Asha to Yara. But mm-hmm. here you got the Night King and the Night's King. Go fuck yourself. Right. How am I ever supposed to keep those separate? Also, I've gotten a smattering of emails over the last few weeks imploring us to keep them straight. Don't refer to Night King as the Night's King, vice versa. And, like, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, that is an entirely unreasonable expectation. Yeah. And if you cringe or your ears bleed or your eyes fall out your forehead, when it just find a podcast that doesn't make that mistake because – even if I try my very, very best and on my best mispronunciation behavior, mm-hmm. which is already asking a lot, by the time the next season rolls around 18 months from now, I'm going to forget all these picadillos and bugaboos and all that. So, yeah. Um, but, I mean, the other thing is I don't care so much because the whole 13th Lord Commander that's actually Stark who is seduced by a White Walker woman and who squirted his cold seed inside her and raised a race of fell knights and they had to be destroyed from – 
none of that is in the show. Right. So at best, it's a little a fun little Easter egg. And I think that George Martin has gone on record saying they're definitively different people. And why the Double Ds picked the Night King when they could have gone with the Frost King mm-hmm. or the Ice King or the Glacier King <laughs> the cold or the King, Dead King or the King the of Frozen the Dead. Frozen King. Or any – like I, I – Winter King. When they when they change Asha to Yara so we don't get confused but right. didn't go with this. But I think the thing is they don't care either because Asha and Asha – are something that one could confuse on a television show. Yeah. The Night King and the Night's King, which does not exist in the show, cannot be confused. That's true, yeah. But still, it's almost like they're trying to piss off book book watchers. Um, and I guess they've succeeded because I have gotten the smattering of emails that, that, that drive people crazy about it. Uh, Audrey C. from Canyon Lake, Texas. Can we just go ahead and call the Clegane Bowl and the season finale? The Hound is headed up to link up with everyone else at the big Cersei right or white unveiling meeting. I'm sure he's going to uh, lay a trap and may allow them some trial by combat for their treachery. Perfect setup for Clegane Bowl. Uh, and since the Double Ds have been obviously reading all the feedback and are giving the fans what they want, why not? Thoughts? Yeah. No, I, I could totally see it happening this next episode. Yeah. I mean, the Hound's going... To meet with Cersei, Cersei's personal bodyguard is the Mountain. There's mm-hmm. no, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get the full, you know, actual version of the Clegane Bowl with the hip hop air horns and all that stuff going off in the background, <laughs> uh-huh. or if it's just going to be Clegane being outraged that they brought his brother back from the dead and what a monster he is. I mean, this whole tribal combat seems like why? Why would they do a tribal combat? Why would Danny and John agree to that? Why would? Why would Cersei agree to that? Why would Cersei like, agree to well, it? Well, maybe because she has the mountain and he's undead and she thinks... I guess, but if she's, she's wrong, I mean, that. we've seen the mountain die once before by a nimble right. little fucker with surprising skills and range. So she wants to throw him up against Longclaw and John. I don't know. That seems like... Yeah. It seems... Trial by combat seems foolish on anybody's side because any given Sunday, man, mm-hmm. it can happen. I don't know, unless you're a clearly guilty criminal or a railroaded innocent. Yeah, right, like. <laughs> and Cersei is not. She's holding all the power in King's Landing yeah, right yeah. now. Um, I, I, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because if you see, look on the previews. The previews all about like Danny's army approaching, you know, King's Landing, and it's impressive as hell, and mm-hmm. and they're staging this outdoor thing, which looks like it might be in the old abandoned dragon pits, hmm. but it's still within King's. I, it still just. Everything you have to believe that Jamie and Tyrion can keep the peace here mm-hmm. with dragons involved and Cersei involved and all the volatile. It just, it, uh, boy, it's really hard for me to get up for this episode, to tell you the truth. Well, we'll see how they handle it. I mean, you know, you have to bar the idea, or, or you have to go with the idea that this is not stupid on the face of it. We know it's stupid, but. Yeah. Like, let's just see how they write it, well, yeah, I guess. It's, like, the I guess itself. right now I'm kind of arms crossed, eyes narrowed, lips yeah, yeah. pursed, staring down to double Ds. I want to see where they pivot from here. Right. Because it does seem like they've kind of dug themselves in a hole, and the people that are in that hole are not going to get out until the next thing comes along. Mm-hmm. If the next thing is sufficiently awesome to justify all this, then fine, all is forgiven. No, not all, but most. Well, not, I mean, but we'll 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 <laughs> we're back move on forward board. in a spirit yeah. of forgiveness and understanding. Do you think? Well, actually, one of the last pieces of feedback asks us to kind of be thinking about this, Jim. Mm-hmm. What you're wanting to see in this next episode that'll get you back to being excited for next season? Or okay. I guess it's a fair question. Even if this episode completely shits to bed coming up, the finale, are you still not excited for another season of Game of Thrones? Okay. 
Because I, I can't imagine what they would do to shit the bed so hard and so foul that I wouldn't want to get back in at 18 months from now. <laughs> right. It's been clean. It's been you washed. Wash the sheets. Dry yeah. cleaned a couple times. Sure, Flip someone the shit mattress. the bed. But, you know, <laughs> I've sleep in a hotel room. And I'm, I am I just take it a matter of faith that <laughs> if a hotel's been around for more than a couple of years, every bed has been shat once or twice. <laughs> That's kind of the deal. You slip in. It's you know. You either trust in and bleach and detergent, or you don't. Uh, moving on, Kyle H. Um, actually, no. I went back to emails. Audrey from Gainesville. I don't know about you guys, but John's line to Danny about how the Northerners will come to see you for what you are sounds potentially ominous. Mm. I'm pretty sure that Danny isn't going to take the news well when she finds out John's actually a trueborn Targaryen and ahead of her in the line of succession. And when John comes home and tells everyone he's bending the knee at the same time, it's presumably going to come out who his true parents are, and it's really going to look bad to the Northerners. A lot of presumptions here. Uh, I think this is setting up for a pretty tense political conflict with the North in Season 8 with John caught in the middle. And if Danny is suspicious at all about John's intentions and conflicting loyalties to her and his family to the North, it may be that come to see you for what you are is going to mean Danny's paranoia or temper might make her act out in a way that creates a rift between her and John and, by extension, the North forever. Hmm. Uh, So what do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't think very many of the assumptions there are unwarranted. Right. Um, I do feel like it's within Danny's character to be worried about, you know, her own status and the status of the realm when John's heritage comes out. You right, know, there's parentage, um, and I think it is well within the North's uh, <laughs> character, I guess, if we'll call it that, the Northern Lords to also be wary of, you know, someone who hasn't earned their respect yet. Right. Um, whether John can patch that up, I think, is an interesting question, and it could certainly support, in my mind, uh, you know, at least part of a season eight. She also talks about this prophecy that is not in the show, but it is in the books. It's called the uh, – it's one of the prophecies she gets um, in the House of the Undying. Uh, it's, it's where we get the three heads has the dragon, uh, and there's this, this, this series of triplets of prophecies. Three fires you must light, one for life, one for death, and one for love. Three mounts you must ride, one to bed, one to dread, and one to love. Three treasons you will know, once for blood, once for gold, and once for love. And a lot of people have gone and tried to figure out, like, what all these, you know, obviously the fire you light for life is probably the one that she lit with Drogo in it that gave her the dragons. Mm-hmm. Three mounts you must ride. A lot of people think the, you know, the silver that that um, Drogo gave her on their wedding night that they let, that then rode to bed is one of them. There's one to dread, which that might be the time she leapt on Drogon. Uh, on the, the, the pit, the flyouts, because that was a very scary experience for her. And then one, the love, that's the one to come. And three treasons you will know, once for blood, once for gold, and once for love. That's the and, – and a lot of people then say, well, are these triplets all connected? Like is the one for life also referring to the one for bed and for the and the once for blood? Is the is the is the death and dread and Goldwyn coupled up? And in like a matrix. Yeah. So like the fact that this, she's there's there's three treasons you will know. Um, once for blood, once for gold, once for love. The fact that there's this door open that someone that she would love would stab her in the back. Um, from her perspective, and maybe if she turns like Mad Queen and John has to stop her, that that would be the final treason. You don't think that's 
I don't know. How, how did you also, feel about Also, none of Jorah? this is in the show. So, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if it's true, if something big in the show is true, it's probably true for the books. It's kind of that transitive property of theorizing. Right. Uh, what did you say about Jorah? How did, how did she feel about Jorah? I don't even remember. Like, before she found well, she out. She pretty pissed. Pretty pissed that Before was, she found out about that, would, did, would you call that love? Like that, I don't think she ever loved him. Not, like, romantically, if but anything, like what kind of love are we talking about? You know, and then like what? Tre- like that was certainly a treason, but was it for gold? I mean, he was playing for mm, a pardon. Yeah. So I guess was that would that be for blood that he was trying to save his own skin? Because if he if he returned to Westeros, he'd be hmm. he'd be condemned as a slaver. Could be good. Hmm. The gold one's most commonly like seen as the Zaro Zon duck sauce betraying her and back in the Karth yeah. episodes. Sticking him in the vault. Back in the where where are my dragon days. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Uh that is uh th- th- those are things I've been the, the something you've been or something I've been pondering about and something that uh Audrey here is trying to uh spin in there as well that maybe maybe John's gotta stop her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to James. One thought I had, uh, thinking back many seasons ago, was when Sam Tarley was up north and one of the Whites looked back and saw him cowering behind a large stone, one of the White Walkers, rather. He literally turned around and paid Sam no mind. Why is that? Does it support your idea that the Night King is marching because he no longer is getting paid his dues? If they truly want to kill everyone north of the Wall, why then leave Sam alive? New, I appreciate new, he your couldn't insights. take Sam. And keep up the awesome work. What he, he'd heard, he'd heard about Sam's White Walker killing Sam the Slayer, and he just knew he couldn't take him. I think this was before <laughs> yeah, the Slayer thing. Okay, so I don't know why the, the White Walkers also allowed one witness to oh from to, the es- very to escape in the very beginning. So yeah. it could be that they were, uh, you, you know, that they were trying to spread fear amongst the humans to get the wildlings on the move and on the march and to get the, you know, the 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 knights watch to resist them so they can just go and reap a grim harvest of corpses without any kind of fight at all. Um, but I, I don't know. It's obviously not because Sam wasn't a threat because we've seen the White Walkers kill small children sure. and raise them. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't because they don't need everybody they get because apparently they're, you know, that's one of the popular theories is that they're literally going around and raising all the dead bodies in the north, mm-hmm. the true north, beyond the wall. Um, Wouldn't there be a lot of children of the forest up there? Maybe. Why have children seen be them turned? Yet? I mean, it could be that the oh, children that's a good question. are yeah. like just by their very nature, they just can't, they're incorruptible that way. Yeah. They're, they're magical beings that can't be turned. Wouldn't the element Although I would say the dragons would also, like, I I was very skeptical of the idea of white dragons mm-hmm. um, until this episode because I thought the fact that dragons are fire-made flesh would just be incompatible with the Ice King's technology. Right. But super wrong on that one. <laughs> super wrong. Yeah, it does make me question what the hell they're actually doing. Like, what goes through their heads? Because to me, the element of surprise is far more valuable than wiping out whatever pittance of Night Watch, yeah. Night's Watch guys were remaining. You know. Yeah, but there's also I'm starting to get a lot of credence in these theories that the Night King, the Night King rather, is has a bit of green seeing himself mm-hmm. and is acting on his own set of prophecies and visions and, you know, is playing the other side of the chessboard, essentially, that we've seen Melisandre, Bran, and all these other gifted seers try to play. And he's 
working out what he thinks he needs to to because there's a couple things that we know like the wall is this magical barrier we don't know a lot about it like does it like wrap around the earth kind of magical barrier does it go infinitely into space kind of barrier you know how like we've seen the night king sub- circumvent a magical ward before when he invaded the three-eyed raven's tree mm-hmm. like it could be that there's some formidable things stacked up against the Night King, and he's just waiting for all of his little prophetic ducks and visionary ducks to get in a row before he he completes the march. Because you're right. If that's the case, and this is some kind of foreordained thing that he's seen, he might be less concerned about the surprise than checking off, you know, he's, oh, okay, sure. the sun's got to rise in the west and set in the east. <laughs> fucking and, uh, prophecies. Gotta, that's right, yeah, my dick's got to go bend left instead of right. <laughs> Been working on that for the last few centuries. Jesus. I we. we <laughs> And it's frozen, so yep. progress is slow and painful. I, I, who knows? Who knows? And we, I, I started thinking about this. We don't even really know the set of circumstances that created him. Like, we know the event that happened that created him, but what was it that actually created the Night King, right? Like, right. was it the, the interaction of being a green seer and getting stabbed with dragon glass? Like, well, could Bran like, become him right. if that if that same set of circumstances happens to him. And the other thing that's crazy is that, like, the first men clearly were not wargs and green seers when they first came to Westeros and started beefing with the children of the forest. It seems yeah, like yeah. that's something that children either awakened in them or, right. or, or transferred to them or taught them how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like... It's weird, like, because there's a lot of theories that, like, the Night King was a powerful green seer, but, like, would that make sense in the context of the first war between the first men and, and the children of the forest? Like, why would the right. children have already taught them their tricks? Or did or did the Westerosi show up and start, you know, worshipping these trees with masks or faces carved on them and drinking weirwood sap, and that's what did it? Like, <laughs> so yeah, many things we it, don't know. You know, something like the forest where it's sort of latent until you discover it and learn right. how to use it. And what's really complicated is this thing we know about the Night King being transformed, we only know that because of the show. Yeah. So here's the thing that really bends your noodle, because I've always looked like, okay, well, what can we learn about the books from the show and vice versa? It's entirely possible that this is yet another Double D's great simplification of an essential truth that George is going to tell us in the books if he ever gets off his hmm. his, his duff and writes them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what are the odds that the Night King or the the head of the others or the way that the others are their, – their origin is exactly the same as the show. Like it could be something that spans chapters and books that was slowly unspooled. And in the show, it's just a vision that Bran gets of them shoving a piece of dragon glass in a dude's heart. Right. So, Which doesn't tell us anything about the process, but in the books, we might learn about it. Right, right. So it's like one of those things where you're trying to extrapolate the whole – full deal the whole full dingle from a, an abbreviated storytelling device mm-hmm. and that's what's really frustrating but like we know so much more about the white walkers from <laughs> the show than we do in the books because five books in they're very mysterious yeah all right um let us move on to katie p katie perry i think so yeah katie perry's a fan apparently swish all right uh, I was lis- recently listening to your tinfoil segment on the Grand Northern Conspiracy, in which I'm a huge believer. So that's one of the first ones I did back in Season 4, if you go look at the archive, which, once again, hmm. the link to the archive is in every show notes for the spoiler section. So check that out and look for the Grand Northern Conspiracy. I think that was a two, maybe a three-parter I did. Uh, I totally think this is where Germ is headed in the books. In the show, though, the Grand North Conspiracy was replaced with the more simplistic but still satisfying sequence of events in which Sansa persuaded John to take back Winterfell. Then John was crowned King of the North by the Northern Lords. 
This got me thinking about what other D&D plots they might have simplified in a show. Specifically, Arya's storyline seemingly take over, taking over the fray killing that Lady Stoneheart is doing in the books. Then I started considering Arya's storyline more generally and how it's changed from the books to the show. I didn't like the simplification of her time in Bravos in seasons 5 through 6. I think it's because in the books a huge part of her story is her loss of personal identity, which is a bit more difficult to fit into about one-tenth of a TV show. In the books, Arya's chapters change names. First she's Arya, then Ari, then Weasel, then Nymeria, then <laughs> Cat of the Canals, then Beth, then Mercy, etc. I think this is all to reinforce the idea that in order to survive, Arya has had to completely change who she is, not just once, but again and again. So what if Arya replacing Lady Stoneheart and killing the phrase on the show means something in the books? Do you think it's possible that Arya could be sent back to Westeros as a faceless man? Or maybe to decide to go back on her own, much like she does in the show, and then run into her undead mother in the Riverlands? This would be a great way for Arya to become Arya Stark again after everything she's seen, and as a way, or everyone she's been, rather, and as a way for Lady Stoneheart to either regain some semblance of humanity in the, her final moments or choose to die. Knowing that her daughter is alive and knowing that said daughter is hell-bent on exacting vengeance for the Starks, which is Lady Stoneheart's whole mission, seems like a good way for her to go. If Sansa and Jon's stories end up where they are in the book, it seems like Lady Stoneheart would be able to bow out gracefully. So I guess if I extrapolate this idea, like Arya could be, she's doing some missions for the Faithless Men or she's acting on her own behalf. She runs into her mother. Maybe Arya gets wounded like she does in the canal sequence in the show. Maybe Lady Stoneheart has to, in a, in a way similar to Beric, breathe his life into Cat that brought her back. Maybe, you know, Lady Stoneheart does that to her daughter, securing the knowledge that she's going to pay back justice to the phrase. Hmm. The thing I don't, the thing I, I, I differ, I guess, in the analysis here that uh, Katy Perry's doing is Cat really hates John in the books. Like, really, really hates him. And I don't know what she would think if she thinks that John is this upstart bastard who... Like, that's her biggest fear. Like, there is a cuckoo that's sitting on top of the Winterfell nest, and she's pushed out all my baby birds, and this fucker is now going to be start a whole other bastard bloodline. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that would really stick in vengeful old Lady Stoneheart's craw. Yeah. Um and then what? Because like Arya loves John, like that's I. You see, this is a thing of a unity for Lady Stoneheart mm-hmm. and Arya. And I'd see that if everything goes down in the books like it does in the show. And I think you're right. Like you know, they're setting up the Battle of the Bastards. They're setting up the Battle of Winterfell. This is all kind of like poised to happen in the books. It hasn't happened yet. Um, but I see a lot more friction there because I don't think she would like John taking over the North. Huh. Yeah. Um. Man, I just don't know enough about Lady Stoneheart. She's just like, a, a. It sounds like she's just a vengeful figure yeah. who wants you, revenge you, on the people you who killed Catelyn her. Take yeah. Catelyn Stark and magnify all of her petty <laughs> tendencies and okay. her unfair characterizations, and you take out everything that humanizes her or makes her likable, mm-hmm. and that's essentially Lady Stoneheart. So, I don't know. I mean, that could be interesting dramatically, right? If if Arya is kind of caught between those two things you know this this horrible version of her a john her mother, and a, sto- a john in a stone place just got right uh and and her horrible version of her mother's desire to kill john who she loves right right yeah 
We'll see. Or and maybe we won't. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's, not. that's who knows. I'm increasingly getting this jaded kind of like, why did you know? It's one thing to use this the books as a lens to see where the show might be going and some of these prophecies, but like, do I really, in my heart of heart, think we're going to get a wind? The winds of winter, much less a dream of spring. And no, I don't think we are. Hmm. My only hope is. And that, especially now that the show is being taken poorly, like if this next season, like season eight comes out and everyone's kind of like, wow, wow, what an amazing start to a show that just runs off the rails. I think George runs scared Hmm. because I got to think that a lot of these bullet points that they're hitting are right from George. The connective tissue is not there, but that's the stuff that probably George is struggling with the the worst, right? Hmm. I mean, that's what he said about feast and dance. So... If these bullet points get panned and this guy is going to be two, three years older and just as rich and complacent, is he really going to take the time to like right now? He's got this perfect untarnished legacy mm-hmm. that this popular thing <laughs> and then, then then the fucking double D's ruined it. Does he want to stick his neck out to to try to like make to convince people that it's it's actually pretty good if the connective stuff is right? Hmm. I, I don't know. know. Well, I mean, that's 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 assuming a lot. It's assuming the season eight sucks. And no one likes it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should call my tits a little bit. But I, I, I just I'm very fatalistic about it right now. Hey, today's podcast is sponsored by Sonos. And uh, they, they drop ship me a bunch of gear to evaluate and talk about on the podcast. And it's going to be mostly me because your package just got here today. Mine got there like three days ago. And I got it yeah. I, 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 like a kid on Christmas. I, I get... A bunch of tech gear sent to me, and I, I rip open to it, and I just prance around. Oh, that's uh, the first thing I'm doing tonight. Yeah, yes. it's uh, this stuff is because I've heard I've I've you know you, you've probably seen the commercials and mm-hmm. you see this like whole house entertainment thing, and you know you you got expectations of it, and when you're seeing it in the boxes and you feel how heavy it is and you see how well packaged it all, like this got really clever packaging where stuff like instantly releases and it all comes out, and in mm-hmm. the confidence of having like. They just have the quick startup guide. It's like one, two, three, done. Because <laughs> okay. all of this equipment is here's how you set it up. You plug it into a power station, mm-hmm. and that's it. Okay. <laughs> you get, so just describe what it is. Like what? Okay. So, what's so Sonus is this is, is, is high end audio gear, and it's designed to like this. The package they sent me is a Playbase, um, which is kind of like a a sound bar type of thing for your television. Okay, I need one of those. A sub, yeah. which is a big subwoofer, and a pair of what they call Play Ones, which is mm-hmm. they're like, um, and and you these these you can set these up to be like a wireless five one system. Okay, because um, you got the Play nice. Base as the center channel, and then you got the subwoofer, and you got the two Play Ones that you can put around for like the spatial sound, um, and it all like works flawlessly. You you get a there's an app you can download on your phone. That allows you to it auto discovers it. You put in your Wi-Fi password for the first piece of gear, and then that's it. Every additional piece huh. of gear, it auto detects it. It asks you to go and push a button on it, and then it, it relays all the information you put in before. Sounds like magic. It is kind of magic, and there's like <laughs> setup things where you, it, it it plays different tones and asks you whether it sounds like it's coming from the right place. It kind of mm, like auto configures. Yeah. And the cool thing is, like, so I didn't choose to set up as a 5-1 system. I, I used to play ones. I got one in my kitchen and one upstairs. Okay. And I'll probably do the 5-1. So yeah. Um, be a good comparison. I, I tried it out that way, but I just thought this fits better because what's cool now is, like, um, if I watch kitchen from my – if I watch TV from my kitchen, mm-hmm. it's always been hard to, like, turn it up enough that I can hear it without, like, blasting out. Right. Well, the way this, this app works is you can, like, go to the Sonos app and quickly – 
like set up different zones so you can have the TV playing on your 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 play base and then one of your play ones and you just quickly drag it into that group and suddenly your TV's playing on a speaker in the kitchen and in really? the living room where you could just play it on the kitchen. Uh, could I stream to the other play one at the same time from like my phone if I wanted yes. to play music? It automatically Jeez. goes and okay. it automatically subscribes itself to all the music that you have available for so it like seamlessly integrates in my case for like the google play app uh, so like i could be playing music in the kitchen and then i can easily say nope i want to be listening to the tv or vice versa huh. and you can have like a whole house experience so i can have the whole house cranking the same music or i can have each individual speaker playing something differently that's pretty cool and like the subwoofer it's like so cool it's all wireless so you don't have to worry about running wires you can just drop it in underneath your couch you can put it in the corner of the room it's super mm-hmm. powerful I was very impressed with just the 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 look of the gear. It looks like a million bucks. It's got that heavy, like you know, uh, like it feels like it's going to last a hundred years type of feel to the technology. The app is very intuitive and easy to use. I feel um, like that'd be good for people who listen to podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> which is probably why they're advertising on podcasts because, That's, like, if you can kind of let your music follow you around the house exactly. or your podcast, you know, when you've got a. Mm, Hour and a half, two hour podcast that you're listening to, maybe. Right. I've been trying to set up something like this, similar, like a, it's like the poor, most, poor man Sonos with like Bluetooth speakers and stuff, but it's weird because you got to have, you got to pair your phone up individually and, and you yeah, can only do it one individual me. thing. You can't like seamlessly say, now I want the whole house to sound like this or only this room. Right. And it's also like easy to expand. Like you can just keep adding these play ones to different parts of your house to 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 extend the coverage. Yeah, gotcha. Um, it's very modular. Yeah, it's 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 just really cool and easy to use, and the the sound quality is great. I can't wait till you get it set up so we can get your experience with it coming up. But yeah, I'm super excited because I I have not had a 5.1 setup in a very long time right. because of the inconvenience of like running wires. Right. Because like, if you're in an apartment, do you want to? You right. know, either got wires running all over the place, you drill holes in the walls, and you got to fix. Yeah, this no is, good solution. This, this is, is all, way better. All you got is, all you got to worry about is getting power to it. So how, how do people take advantage of the offer that Sonos is, is well, providing? Well, I'm glad you asked, Jim, because for the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of this year Bald Moves Game of Thrones podcast 10% off one order of 2500 bucks or less. Or less. Okay, so not like you have to spend 2500 no, to get it. No, no, no. For any product at Sonos.com, this offer is available okay. for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. They're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you be combining this with other discounts or offers yeah. or promotions because they will cut that right off. Use the promo code GOT10, that's capital G, capital O, capital T, one zero at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Again, I was very impressed with the gear. I, it, it, it added an amazing – I mean, I've got a pretty good TV. It's a high-end Samsung Plasma. It never had, like, shitty speakers, but I cannot believe the oomph this thing instantly provided. It's all adjustable too. And I've never had a good TV with sound experience. Right. Because I've never had a one of these kind of bar things. So right. I'm excited. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, Sonos.com, capital G, capital O, capital T, 10, one zero to get your, your 10% off. Nick from Kentucky. Just had a thought listening to your episode five spoiler episode. Do you think it's possible or even likely that Arya will open up her own faceless man assassin school? Assassin Academy. I like it. She's going to be the Yoda of training on Yavin or wherever the hell he was. the new Jedi or the yeah. Order or the what, – what was that Kevin J. Anderson series? Uh, Jedi, Jedi Search. Jedi Academy. Jedi Academy. 
Jedi Search, I think, is the first one in that series. Uh, Arya could recruit her own students and teach them the ways of being a super secret spy assassin. Admittedly, I don't know how long it takes to graduate from assassin school. With the showrunners apparently relinquishing any desire to make sense of time, it's possible that Arya could create a small group of three to five faceless men. This would have incredible value in the wars to come. Your thoughts? I don't see it. I, I think Arya is the lone wolf. Um, yeah. I, I. Yeah. It doesn't strike me as she doesn't strike me as a type who wants to go teach. She wants to do. I mean, I don't for for a fact is I don't think it's going to come up in this season, much less I think this series. It yeah. would be an interesting spinoff option. Okay, so we talked about like uh-huh. you're like I could totally get a young Jedi Academy now. That didn't work out so well for Luke in in mm-hmm. either the books that are now I guess apocryphal, nor apparently the canon movies. You get because... the fucking Sun Crusher destroying shit, <laughs> right? Or or you've got uh, Kylo Ren being just a complete asshole and kill murdering Han Solo. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't think it would go too well for her because like you know she had a rushed training anyway. Yeah. And, like, there was already faceless men in her story saying, this is bullshit, this is not the way you do things. And mm-hmm. so she was hastily trained, and now she's going to train other people. <laughs> Arya is also... a disaster. I don't think I, I... I don't associate Arya with patience and, like, measured wisdom. Yeah. So it'd be like... It'd be exactly like, I don't know, Anakin Skywalker trying to teach a Jedi Academy. It'd be, it'd be go bad. It could go poorly. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see the spinoff. Maisie Will- and you get Ma- just just cast Maisie Williams. Yeah, she'll. Put I, on HBO. I feel like she could play a thirteen-year-old for the next fifteen years. Could yeah, <laughs> she's still retaining youthful appearance. I wonder if she'll yeah. want. Like I wonder if she'll be like. I wonder if she'll want to get out and do something non-genre. Yeah. Or if like if you gave her, her a wagon stuff, full like, of um, money, yeah, she, like, like iBoy. She she's in that Netflix. She was also movie. in a Sherlock. Was it no Sherlock Holmes? It was Doctor Who. She played a part in a Doctor Who. Oh, season. did she? So it's like I that's not it. avoiding genre work for sure. The, oh yeah, not. Sophie I thought you Turner, meant like that specific genre. Sophie the Turner's like fucking Jean Grey and the X Men again, uh-huh. not avoiding genre work. <laughs> right. Um. So I don't know. Some of the biggest stars out there are in genre stuff. Today. I mean, genre stuff is comic Marvel, books. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's prestigious and it makes you a lot of money. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like if you're, if you, if if you want to turn stuff down because like the only reason I think that she'd turn down an HBO offer to do an, an Assassin's Academy is if she wants to do something that's not like Game of Thrones or fantasy. Then you yeah, know, if she turns around and plays Mystique Part Two and mm-hmm. X Men Twelve. Then I would have stuck with the Assassin Academy. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Brian W. Hope I'm not just one of the dozens of people piling on at this comment, but in the spoiler edition, there has been some speculation tying trying to connect this white capturing mission to something that might happen in the books. I'd like to remind you that John actually did have two bodies from north of the wall put into ice cells at the wall in the books. He hopes to see if they turn, and if so, how long it would take. My immediate thought when this crazy scheme was hatched was that the book plot would involve John bringing one of those corpses south to show the southern lords. Man, um... If that's the case, I would think that that would be that would that's already such a simple idea. Why would the double D's complicate it? Unless they're trying to they didn't. then like George won the bullet points is oh and the Night King gets a dragon and they're like fuck how do we why in the hell would you go north of the wall when it's the thing protecting you from the army of the dead right. much less bring dragons and they're like ah I know we we forgot to put the two corpses in the ice cells just have John go up there and snatch one. Yeah, I mean it might be it might be something like they didn't get that bullet point. The the idea that, you know, he's going to go south to show Cersei this corpse 
or this resurrected corpse yeah. um, until later, until yeah. after they realized, oh, shit, we don't have the two ice cell guys. Um, but I, I think it becomes a far less ludicrous plan if they're like, well, we've got these bodies. Um, we could probably send somebody to take it down to Cersei and see what she says. Right. Like, that's a way, that's way less risky than sending everybody north. I'm actually really surprised because I would, I would have been more on board with the theory if Sam had somehow talked to John about his speech to convince the Maesters, but they just won't believe him without hard proof. And he's taking it to the Maesters. Because if he was taking it to the Citadel so they could send a raven to all the lords and saying that we have seen this, it's real, we have to mobilize, and we're going right to you, we're bypassing the normal uh, power structures, that, I mean, it's not stupid to go north and get a white to prove to somebody, I don't think, on its (laughs) face. It's very hard, it's it's dangerous. It's extraordinarily risky, yeah. The risk-reward is way out of whack, Mm -hmm. but... The, the reason I think it's stupid is because I just don't believe that Cersei would be convinced, and even if she right. is, she's going to try to fuck you over in the outcome. Right. Um, so, yeah, what they're doing with that white is absolutely stupid. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I, the, speaking of bullet points, I'm pretty convinced that the dragon being killed and turned into a white has to be one of those big bullet points. I would assume so. Yeah. I don't think that the double D's would freestyle. And I also, and it's so important to Danny's character and the way they're talking about it. Like this has to happen. And we're struggling with trying to do it the most believable way possible makes it seem like their hands are a bit tied, but it's still, it seems like just, just with a little bit of thought, it seems like there was a lot better ways where, They've got these, the, the, you know, they can't they can't control what pieces they have on the table, but they can control their fitting together. And just what they've done, what they've done to Sam has kind of been a borderline disappointment because hmm. it seems like they could have connects connected those dots a little bit better. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It's just I always like I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it seems like if they'd spent a little bit more time thinking about it, they could have gotten. But again, we don't know exactly where they're trying to steer to. Yeah, uh, Oliver from London. Oliver J. from London. I was listening to your Eastwatch episode, and you're talking about Gurm's bullet point details that he told the Double Ds, and we're pondering what they were. I think I know what one of them might be, and it involves Davos. Liam Cunningham, the actor who plays him, has said several times that Gurm told him a plot twist about Davos that blew his mind, and he linked to He the- actually has fingers. <laughs> <laughs> he just he, he's he, been he, wearing a half glove. He, he actually had half. He was born with half fingers, and he convinced <laughs> you know what would really devastate me, Stannis. Is if you cut off all the fingers right. on my right hand, I don't know what I would do. Glove, right, right. He wears fingers, yeah. and he just goes ah. And he has ketchup packets in there. <laughs> he stuffs the ends with ketchup packets. Um, it's a grisly scene. Three minutes, he's running around the room spraying ketchup. <laughs> um, so he, he linked his talk show where Davos is talk, or where Liam Cunningham is talking about this. So I accept your proof that this actually happened. Obviously, the books in the show are very different now, so maybe this twist will only happen in the books, but I was wondering what you think Davos' big moment could be. Uh, he dons his tinfoil hat and says, I always thought it was strange how he survived the Blackwater and thought maybe he had come back as a servant of the Drowned God in some way. Mm. I was thinking he's the mole he's in Danny's mole. operation. Man, he seems like a true believer, though. Yeah, and I don't, also don't think that's possible because I don't think he's had the access right. to know the plans of Danny. Yeah. Um, so, one thing that jumped out of my mind is the fact that they make it such a point that Davos is shit in a fight. He's shit in a fight. He's no good. He's not going to be able to 
would it be kind of awesome if Davos turns out to be one of like Azora High or Azora High adjacent? <laughs> like, because he's you know he's lost a lot of things. Like you know if you think about him versus the Nisa 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 prophecy, he's lost his son. He's lost his surrogate daughter and Shireen by being burnt to the fire. Um, he's he's had a lot of uh, uh, and then he lost his he lost his fingers and 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 becoming a knight yeah. like is 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 one of those the lion or one of those the, the, the water one the of those fingers. the lion one yeah. of those is like you know someone he loves or someone's close to him like there's a little his bit fingers. there his fingers. that's the that's a pail of water <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's great uh, then he lost his son at the Blackwater then he lost Shireen at Winterfell. I don't know. You, you start thinking that, and the fact that the show has got such an like he's reminded us a minute. Like he's like, don't, don't, don't rely on me in a fight, but yet he's in the thick of things always. Maybe he's maybe he's trained in the water dancing techniques. <laughs> Syria. I mean, he's from. That's where you just pee your pants. The, he's from that area, right? Isn't no? Or is his name just West, so similar that I associate? No, nah, he's, he's a Westerosi. He's a Westerosi. He's not uh, like Saladin Sand or anything. Um, yeah, hmm. I, I don't, yeah, I just I don't know. The, the Azor High thing, he doesn't seem to be an important enough character, but I guess that would be a twist. It's I just al- don't know how they'd make it like feel satisfying right. as the reveal. Right. It's also possible that this Gendry thing is the twist he's talking about. The fact that you know he's saved some kind of minor, but it turns out pivotal. I'm guessing that mm. Gendry's going to be pivotal in some way. We'll talk about that here in a bit. But that's the other kind of thing where I'm like... Because I would have bet pretty good money that Gendry would never be seen again. Yeah. Even two or three episodes ago. But that doesn't seem like a twist for Davos. It seems like a twist for Gendry. For the plot in general. Like, right. oh, Gendry's back. Right. Um, maybe if he would turn out to be the traitor because he's like he's worried that Danny, yeah. you know, he doesn't like people being burned alive or I just don't know how he would how he would have the information to to tell Euron where the ships are and like all mm. that kind of stuff. There's also something like Lady Melisandre this episode, this season gave us a prophecy where she's going to return to Westeros and then die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Davos has gone on record saying, if I see you again, I'll kill you. It could be a twist that he's involved somehow in that. Hmm. But that's, is that a real twist? I don't, I think that's just living that's up just to what he said he was going to Yeah. What his stated goals and, and motivations are. <laughs> right. So, um, I don't know. Those are my guesses. If anyone's got any others, we'll, we'll consider it in the spoilers to come. Uh, he we has got, no toes. We got at least two of these things coming. We got next week's and then the wrap up. Um, Isaac G., um, here's something I don't think you mentioned in your Game of Thrones podcast this week. Now that Randall Tarly and Dickon are dead, doesn't this make Sam the heir to House Tarly? What do you think is going to happen here? Here's mm-hmm. one idea. Sam returns to his ancestral home, marries Gilly, turns his army against Cersei, and fights for Jon and Danny. If this happens, Sam will be able to make use of his father's sword, which will wrap up nicely his having pilfered it in the previous season. For some reason, Sam couldn't become Lord Tarly. I mean, that's other I, than being a sworn cool. brother of the Night's Watch and not being yeah, able to hold lands true. and titles and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the I died, get out of jail card that John's got. Yeah. On the other hand, I've frequently wondered whether the Night's Watch will even be a thing. Um, it's already barely a thing. The Wildlings are essentially the bulk of the Night's Watch now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what does that even mean? And if you are Sam the Slayer and you help win the, the tide of the battle, turning aside the Long Night Part Two, you know it could be pretty easy to see him being restored to his his rightful place as the heir of the of House Tarly. 
Yeah. So I could see if if Sam is going to try to rally his uh, dad's former troops, uh, which largely were taken intact. You know, like Danny mm-hmm. got a lot a lot of Lannisters, but you got to think a lot of Tarly troops in there too. Uh, I mean, he could tell it like he could either tell a story like, "Hey, Dad said it was cool, all's forgiven. Here's the sword to prove it." Or he could just be like, you know, I've got the, the the house sword. I am the head of the household. I've got this war plan and, you know, try to hold it in his own right. What do, mm-hmm. what do you think, Jim? I don't know. I, I'm torn between the idea that Sam's best weapon is his mind. Right. Um, and the idea that he might, he might not have been well equipped to live up to his father's expectations, but maybe in the end he sort of inadvertently does mm. and becomes a warrior in his own right. Uh, I think both of those are satisfying in interesting different ways, but right. I, I think I still lean towards the his mind is his best weapon um, mm-hmm. being the most satisfying of all. Yeah, and then the, the thing, I guess the contra, I don't really believe this when I play devil's advocate, is when Gilly says, oh, are you sure you always wanted to be a maester? And he says, I'm tired of reading about the deeds of better men. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't, as a, as a, as a bookworm and an intellectual, my, uh, a, well, a, a wannabe intellectual myself, I don't know how I would sit if he just wants to become a man of action or a quote-unquote better man. Mm-hmm. Like, what would Maester Eamon say if he heard him say that shit? You know, like you can be a bet, you can, you can use your head and not your sword arm and still be a better man. I mean, that's, but I could see him, I could see him wanting to become more, you know, he's never going to be a guy like his father, but someone that's no longer afraid and willing to, to flex a bit of martial prowess. I don't know. I don't even know if it has to be martial. Like you look at, you look at the demeanor and the, I guess the stance that the maesters are taking, which Mm. is. We simply collect the information, and right. we're sort of the memory of Westeros. We report as opposed to, <laughs> yeah, as opposed as opposed to getting in there and mixing it up, you know, not with a sword, but maybe right. with the knowledge that he has. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. Get in there and tell the people who need to know the things they need to know. He's make tired things of this, happen. This false equivalency, false neutrality. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stephanie, I was listening to last Friday's spoiler podcast when y'all mentioned past characters forgotten and how you thought you'd never see them again. Gendry and Euron, just two that you mentioned that you thought would be completely irrelevant to the point because of the time restraints and jetpacking over this this season <laughs> and next. Yeah. So, is it possible we could see Edmure Tully return to lead the Riverlands? Sure. Where is he? Was he overlooked when Arya killed the Freys, or will Grey Worm find he's a prisoner at Casterly Rock? I'm curious about this and how it could become another force to help John with Cersei and the White Walkers. I could see Edmure coming back at this point. I mean, they've said you know? late last season, I believe, is when um, Walder Frey and Jamie were talking, and he mentioned that he has Lord Edmure safely back in a cell. Uh-huh. Uh, and it does seem a bit of an oversight for Arya to just flip the tables over on the Freys and then no mention of her uncle, who is a lord in his own right and commands a lot of bannermen and would probably be itching and scrapping and ready to go. Like it's, that's just been a, a drop plot point. So you have to ask yourself, is it something that the double D's have up their sleeve or is it just something that they are not that interested in and they've run out of time right. in their own mind and they don't honestly, it could be either. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the behind the scenes for the snow bear battle on no. HBO? Uh, well, I saw one clip where, Thoros has a sword jammed into a mechanical monstrosity's <laughs> uh-huh, mouth. Uh-huh. But other than that, no. A lot of people are up in arms about it because they state that essentially 
they've been trying to get this zombie polar bear battle in for like three seasons and they keep running out of budget and they like set their feet down and said, no, fuck it. God damn it. We're going to have a polar bear battle. <laughs> and it, it rubs people the wrong way. Cause it's like, seriously, this is the hill you died on. You yeah. wanted a cool looking, f- I can't get ghost because you have a boner for zombie polar bears. Mm-hmm. Like not even, not even goddamn ice spiders, but polar bears. Like you've got giant whites yeah, and seems zo- weird. and and dragons and you, you get fixed in as polar bear. Like I don't. I mean, I I always think that like some of that stuff is just like meant to be funny behind the scenes. Like that were they really campaigning for three years and they're really disappointed right. and then like you know, or is it just a set piece that they thought would be cool and they it, it happened on the show? Yeah, I don't know. It does. It does. It's illustrative where the fan base's mindsets at, though. Mm-hmm. There are people are really cranky right now. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, polar yeah. bears are not important. Ghost is pretty important. To Ghost the fans. is super important, and you yeah. know the fact if you are if you're if you're stuffing the squad full of red shirts so you can play homage to the last hero, but you don't have the last hero's horse or dog in there, even though it would be <laughs> all those things would be super important, super crucial to have. Uh huh. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Where the hell is Ghost? I'm starting. I mean, I believe the official story that he's expensive to render and everything's expensive to render. So you got to make choices. But after last episode, yeah. He's been there the whole time. He just blends in with the snow. He does. He you just can't he, see him. He's like the polar bears to hunt with their nose covered <laughs> right. to sneak up on seals. He's just been doing uh-huh. the thing where he covers his nose with his paw and you can't see him. All right. Andrew B., Hey, boys, after watching Eastwatch and seeing Davos return Gendry to Dragonstone, my mate and I immediately thought that Gendry and Davos could be replaced in the storyline of young Griff or Aegon or Fagon and John Connington from the books, or at least some combination of the two storyline. Who could? Interesting. Davos and Gendry. Davos. Would that be the twist? That could that be. He's... the. Tw- well, that would be a twist that George Thank wouldn't God. tell him about, though. That would be a, uh-huh. that would be a twist that the Double Ds would, would give him, so probably not. Um hmm. So it depends on what you think young Griff and John Connington are up are, are up to. Like I believe they're the Mummer's Dragon part of the warning that, that Danny that Danny gets and some of her visions and some of the pro- I can't remember if that's a vision or that's a prophecy that she gets from that Quaith character, but um I think this, this is the this is the pretender dragon. He's either a Blackfire Targaryen or he's just not even a Targaryen. He's just this is uh you know I, I saw a couple I saw a theory that I think I talked about last year. I certainly did a deep dive in season five on it where if you look at like in dance, they establish Illyrio and Varys's relationship that Illyrio was kind of like the sellsword in Essos and Varys was this eunuch from the streets and they're both kind of down and out, but that Varys was this pickpocket um, and they had this relationship where Varys would sneak into a noble's house and steal like a prize necklace or something. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Illyrio would roll up and be like, I'll know where these ruffians hang out and I will return your pro- property, sir. And he goes and just, you know, gets it from Varys and they split the take. Right. And then they decided that it was, what's really exp- expensive is if you blackmail them. Like it, instead of stealing their necklace, steal their ledger that shows that they're double dipping from the city's funds and uh-huh. that way. And that there's this pretty compelling theory that that Varys and Illyrio are essentially playing a much bigger version of the rip and roll tactics that they perfected over in Pintos <laughs> with Westeros and with the game with, with, with the Iron Throne being in the balance. So 
this is just some bullshit con that they're playing on the entire realm. Now, I I like that theory. It's pretty it's pretty compelling. There's a couple problems with it. Notably, being on the show at least, Varys seems like he's put all of his cards on the table. There is no young Griff. Mm-hmm. There is no John Connington, and he just serves the realm, which I think is compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they still have him doing some dirty double dealing, or he's like the the intelligence leak, some people have speculated existing this season. Maybe this could come in and and. The fact that they've introduced this as, like, Robert Baratheon's bastard son, but, like, they've made a big deal that he is his son, and, oh, think of the days of, like, me and your father running around. Like, what if he gets delusions of grandeur? And what if Danny's starting to act crazy? And what if John doesn't return from a dangerous mission and Gendry's trying to back some? Like, I could see a version of that where, in my mind, the Aegon, the fake Aegon and Connington storyline is to get another pretender late in the game for the game of thrones so it's not just going to be cersei and john and and danny mm-hmm. it's going to be a yet another party over there causing some some ruckus so could gendry get delusions of grandeur and try to throw in his his uh bullhorn helmet into the ring for the mm-hmm. game of thrones what do you think jim sure i think it's on the table at this point <laughs> i mean it's just that things are just they're just seven episodes left man yeah is there is now granted supposedly season eight they're all going to be hour and a half extravaganzas but supposedly but I, I'm not buying that you got to leave room when for, I see it you got to leave room for polar bear bo- battles man that's true yeah you know uh, you got to leave room for for sex between characters that we are marginally engaged in um, so I don't know that's I, I think you could be right my only question is is there enough time and in the show does it feel like they don't have enough on their plate in the books like that's george like he can't help but serve a fucking smorgasbord <laughs> all right sherry w from the uk it just occurred to me when gilly revealed ragger's annulment it's said to have happened in dorne tower joy where they were hiding out also in dorne why dorne when the wife elia martell is dornish would Rhaegar not feel the wrath of sunspear with this huge insult to their honor or does it mean that Rhaegar had Elia's consent to the annulment because she believed in his prophecy too? Hmm. In the books, the Martells has a, have a secret plan, master plan, that involved an alliance with Viserys and Danny. Why they're still working with the Targaryens when Elia was jilted and disgraced like that? Do the Martell family believe in prophecies too? That's a damn fine question. Um, I, I think that's one of the... That is one of my big questions, is why did it happen where it happened? Well, I mean, it's a lot easier to understand in the books because in the books, realistically, when the Targaryen dynasty, dynasty rather, falls, like Mm -hmm. just all kinds of shit breaks loose and happens. You've got, you know, like it's an open question about whether like Doran understands that, you know, Rhaegar essentially jilted his the the, the princess Elia, Hmm. you know. Uh, because it's not like he made a deal with Danny and uh, Viserys. My understanding is he made a deal with the then current commander of the Golden Company to have this old this 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 secret marriage pact that they had worked out. Like it's not like that that, that Danny knows about this. Um, and when and also it's not necessarily that the Doran knows about Rhaegar's treachery. We don't know if Rhaegar actually was treacherous. We're basing a lot on the word annulment and our understanding of it and, and Sam's explanation of it. Like, yeah. and, and that's the thing. There's this power vacuum that was filled and a lot of 
you know, people were spirited off and smuggled out of the country, and some of it was maybe some of his bullshit, like Aegon. Some of it's obviously legit, like Danny and Viserys. Like, there is this fog of war that kind of hangs over everything, and no one has perfect information, which makes the books mm. really interesting to read because you, as a reader, kind of see both sides, and you can see, like, oh, God, this isn't going to end well, or, oh, uh, you know, like John's the act's opposite. You you expect him to be a big player because you slowly become aware of his importance to the story. So I, I I don't know. I don't think we have enough information to say one way or another, especially in the show. Yeah. Uh, James O. I'm hoping that the deep connection between the Stark children and their wolves goes as far as one helps the other stay alive. Or uh, another way to say it is the wolf will be their familiar. Kind of like the movie Dragonheart. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. We're, we're, uh, can Sean Connery be the voice of Drogon? I, he is. Yeah? He is. Every time you hear a screech. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I'm not hearing enough shh in the, in the, the screech. Well, yeah. Come on, <laughs> Danny. Dra- grab your shuttle and, and, and mount my neck as we roast our enemies. Um, I had thought when Arya gets strapped... Or st- wait, what gets stabbed and fall? What the yeah. hell is going on? I thought it seems to people... have jumped from dragons to uh huh. Oh oh, I'm oh, sorry, for... not Danny. I thought when Arya gets stabbed and falls into water, at Bravos yeah. people I like to talk to or I talked to about the show and those online had a lot of problems with it and her surviving, mm-hmm. but her for Wolf is alive and well out in the wild. Uh, in the books, I hear she has the power to warg from across the sea. That implies a very deep connection, one that's not just mental. Think about John as well. I love the scene when the Red Witch does the ritual and nothing happens right away. Everyone leaves the room and Ghost looks up at John. Either he senses his return or something else is going on. The name Ghost could be deeper than just what that he's all white and moves silently. John is like a ghost in some sense. Maybe he's able to survive under the frozen lake for that reason. So it's he's essentially I, getting at the like one while one lives neither can dies kind of situation. But like that's in, not in, that's in demonstrably untrue. How? Sansa, Sansa's alive, right? Bran is alive. I like, think it's more like I think it's more of a one-way transit. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a cop out. Uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. The thing about here's the thing about Ghost is I think in this in the books it would not surprise me, and in fact it seems like they're going in that direction because there's this whole thing in the prologues about this uh, wildling green seer and warg and he has this second life in his wolf after his physical body dies and he becomes trapped there and we see things through his point of view um, and then we have the fact that ghost is called ghost and the fact that, that, that John can unconsciously warg into him and that he's going to die and spend maybe some days dead and like his soul needs to go somewhere and mm-hmm. there, there's this whole ghost as a refrigerator theory that like you know one of the re- one of the things Barrack says about coming back is he misses a piece of himself because mm-hmm. you know when you die that part of you starts to decay that John would avoid this because he'd essentially warg and have a second life inside Ghost and then when his body's brought back to life his entire spirit vitality sure. and consciousness would then jump back in his body and he'd be no worse to wear which that's seems fine but kind that of like what's happened in the show but it doesn't apply to Arya. In that situation. Apply to Arya. Because every time we've ever seen somebody warg, right. their human body is unconscious. Right. Um, now, if you wanted to, like James, use that as a way to explain away why she could survive this grievous wound, because she's calling she on wolf some... wolf power? She's got calling on some kind of well of vitality from her wolf. Uh, You're free to do so. Is it persuasive? 
I just don't know if it's I'm evidence. looking at Jim's face. This is not a Jim's <laughs> persuaded face. I just don't think it's an evidence is the problem. Yeah. Um, well. Maybe maybe a little more so in the book, but right. definitely not in the show. Right. And you know, you're right. We've seen. I mean, there's a timing question about the Red Wedding. Like, did Rob die before Grey Wind? Yeah. Because, you know, I think I actually cut out in the middle of the middle where this is where the tra- Lost in Translation came in. He was also saying that, like, when during the Red Wedding, it seemed like Rob survived being stabbed a lot longer. And then we see in the next episode the Grey Wind. Like, but there again, you're you're putting into evidence the fact that Rob stayed on his feet until Grey Wind got stabbed to death. Right. But we don't. That's, that's, that's again, a fact, not an evidence. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, as a personal theory... It's something that's going to persuade Jim? Definitely not. No, not going to happen. Um, plus, I mean, I just think the fact that, like, if you, you don't need an explanation, he's magically alive right now. That's true. Yeah. John and also, is... we're, we're saying, like, it's also a fair point that I don't think you can unequivocally state that what John went through is an experience that a human could not live through. We don't know enough about the timing and like, you, you know, we're inferring by movements of the night King and his army that he was under there for several minutes or a lot longer. Oh, but the water. Yeah. We can't, we can't say for sure. I thought you meant the knife to the heart. No, <laughs> like, no. wait, wait, wait. But yeah, but yeah you're maybe right. His, maybe his heart's in the stomach. I mean, cause that's the thing. Like <laughs> if you start to allow yourself to say anything is anything, uh-huh. then you could say, well, maybe his heart's in his stomach because that's a Targaryen trait. And that's Where's a wolf heart? Right. Yeah. Is, is it in, is it in the same place as a human? No, roughly it's opposite. In the torso? It's mirrored. It's mirrored. So mirrored? that's not there a heart shot. That just was in his wolf liver. So he has wolf guts. <laughs> Arya has wolf guts too. She, she got does. stabbed in like the, I don't know. That's just her the primordial fingers. fat pad that <laughs> yeah. wolves have that protect their soft underbelly. Right. Um, all right, let's move on. Alex R., I know you guys mentioned that maybe whites can't possibly swim due to some problem with water and magic. If that's true, how the hell did they get the uh, convenient chains and place them on the dragon that was underwater? I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. I don't care. Oh, I don't mind. Is a po- lot of people on the fucking internet give a shit, give a lot of shits about this. Is it possible that the like the whites got off their high or no, the white walkers got off their literal high horses and did some goddamn dirty work? It's possible. I don't yeah. know. May- maybe they have some sophisticated system for dragging shit out of frozen lakes. I don't. I don't yeah. know. Like they just guide dred- wires. They just, they and- just dredged it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't or maybe, care. Or maybe the whites went on a one way mission. They can't swim, but they can right. sink to the bottom and tie a chain around a dragon's neck. They got whites to spare. Yeah. Uh, Patrick C., I've seen many pictures of dragon riders uh, from, like, supporting material, and it looks like that they use saddles. Is this canon in the books that saddles were used? If so, I can totally see next season Tyrion giving the schematics for a dragon saddle to Danny and John. This could easily be shown with Tyrion has done this before and a previously on when he made the special horse saddle for Bran after he's paralyzed. That's a popular theory. I've heard that uh, that like Tyrion's contribution is going to be some kind of fancy saddle that will allow people to ride dragons in comfort and style. Yeah. The problem with that theory now is that it's been proven that you don't need shit to ride a dragon. Yeah. Other than blonde hair and gumption. <laughs> that's true. So you need like I, that's yeah. not true. What if he makes like they armor. also have this special bond that apparently John yeah, has yeah. And, and Tyrion has, but the saddle like. I was super convinced that the sat like like you know Tyrion can't ride a dragon; his little legs are too short. But yeah. he can make a saddle that will secure him properly to it, and he'll be the third head to the dragon. There's a couple problems: no longer three dragon heads. Yeah, 
So now, like, if there's going to be a dragon that has three heads, it's going to be involved some kind of brand warging a Probably. white dragon, which is another popular theory, to, to, admittedly. Mm-hmm. But I just... He could make it armor. He could make the dragon's armor, maybe. Yeah, I could see him doing that, too. Yeah. Or that's something that Gendry and him could collaborate on. Like, Gendry's got, like, right. you know, because, uh, you know... Tyrion designs it, Gendry builds it. A lot of people sent in, and it's like, you're missing the marks. Like, he's not going to make weapons out of dragon glass. Gendry's going to be instrumental to discovering the secrets of Valerian steel. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. There's also, like, Euron's rocking a badass set of Valerian steel armor in the preview chapter for Winds of Winter. Oh, shit. So, it's on the right. table... Mm-hmm. And if that would be like something that's strong and light and supple enough for to cover a dragon in flight, mm-hmm. that'd piss off the Night's King, the Night King rather. <laughs> um, but as far as it being canon, no. The, the sad fact is, no one really knows how to tame a dragon. That 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 information has been lost hmm. for for over a hundred years, maybe even longer, because there's evidence that the Maesters have been fucking with the Targaryens and poisoning their dragons or, or deliberately raising them and training them wrong to stunt them and because they, they feared having these unstoppable weapons in anyone's hands. So, uh, Brandon R. So many people emailing me this. Um, is Bran the Night King? Uh, the evidence is there's a bunch of articles where people have noted that Bran is dressing very similarly to the Night King. Some yeah. people have actually photoshopped the crazy brooch the Night King is wearing on the, 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 the Bran's outfit, which is obviously bullshit and lies. The problem here is, like... I feel like the summer version, like, the the slightly less north version of the Night King right. is wearing, like, a mesh tank top. Because <laughs> have you seen his his armor? He's right said Fred. Pretty much, yeah. No, his armor is like that. Corrugate is not the right word. That like wiffle yeah, yeah, vinyl yeah, yeah. material. Right. It's actually a lot like what the brother, the Black Brothers, were wearing in season one. Because that's the thing. Oh, with, is it? Like, there's been so many articles like compare the Night King to what Jon Snow is wearing in season and all that. And like, right. I mean, you 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 get the unescapable conclusion that the Night King is dressed like a northern warrior. Surprise, surprise. He looks like Roose Bolton. He looks like Ramsey Bolton. He looks like Jon Snow. He looks like Ed Stark. He looks like all these fuckers because that's what he once was. Yeah. He looks like the Night's Watch because that's the shit that they wear up north when they go into battle. So I think it's much more plausible than – because the other thing is like if I tell you – the Bran is the Night King, time traveling version of the Night King. He's the good guy. He's the bad guy. He's past, present, future Westeros. What is your reaction? I should have seen it. They were wearing the same mesh tank top. <laughs> <laughs> if you tell me that, what's my reaction? Yeah, I don't. I think that's a. I think that's a terrible idea. Like that's a very hacky type of twist. Like it's like we've already. I don't know. I mean, about if, if you had come to me and said, "Hey." Uh, by the way, Bran is the one who made Hodor like he is, uh, and here's how it happened. Like, mm. it, would you call that? You'd the be same? like, "Oh God, they're going to do a fucking Terminator time travel paradox plot in Game of Thrones." Yeah, I can see what I, you're saying. I, I feel like it's it's only yeah. it only feels hacky because we can kind of see it coming. Right. But with the Hodor stuff, I don't think anybody called that. Hmm. I just think that revealing that the major antagonist is also one of the major protagonists. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think of a show that's done something like that that wasn't a straight-up hack job. The other problem is it's also like um, 
you know, Three-Eyed Raven told Bran he will never walk again, but he'll fly. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, he's in crows, cool. Uh, maybe he's wargs into a zombie uh, dragon even better. But if he becomes a Night King, the Night King walks around all the time. But what if he had a dragon to ride? He's still walking, so the prophecy didn't come true. Oh, yeah, you won't need to walk. So I so there's a counter theory that was kind of coming around at the same time where it's like he's not the Night King, but Bran it might be revealed as essentially the Lord of Light. Or... Not mm. Bran, but the three-eyed raven. That you've essentially he got the this, Lord of Light. Wow, you've got this duality between the the God of the others, the God of Death, the God, and then the Lord of the Light, which is the, essentially the human. The, you know, one side fights for the dead, one side fight for the living. Mm-hmm. And Bran, like you know, the Lord of the Light, the fact that people can imperfectly see his visions and all. Like like, there's this idea that the the three-eyed raven is essentially communicating with humanity, and people perceive that differently. And the priests of R'hllor see it as the red light, the red god trying to communicate with them. Hmm. Um, okay, I thought that theory is a little bit more persuasive. The fact that the reason that the Lord of Light, as opposed to all their gods, actually seems like a real thing that has power, um, because there actually is a directed intelligence to that, and it is Bran or three-eyed raven or whatever that office is called throughout time hmm. i don't have a lot of like support okay. for that theory yeah. but i like it a lot more than brand being the night king uh jack in has sending us Hagar? a jack in oh jack in jack nichols nicholas nichols wait both Nich- of them yes Enjoying all me. of the jacks all yeah. the, the famous jack ins are writing in with Katy perry uh here's a link to the video of brand's raven flight in episode five east watch so this is where brand goes and he sees the night's king the knight king they're, they're scattered he's to the dispelled yep. he goes do you recognize the the rock the night king is standing on it looks awfully familiar he's essentially so is it one of those rocks that like has the compartment under it where you can put your key in it <laughs> is that the, the rock season eight no yeah it's essentially the same place that the night king was standing in this episode by in front of the matterhorn or whatever so it's huh. essentially a, a different camera angle. Okay. So Bran saw them massing at this spot, which we kind of know they were, and he goes, this leads me to believe the Night King was setting his trap at this frozen lake, deliberately lying in wait to raise one of Danny's dragon. He also subsequently sends out the bait that John and company were looking for, one of his White Walker lieutenants, with all but one white that could not fall when John killed the White Walker. He and his White Walker brethren are all waiting patiently with their ice spears instead of using them on the group of trapped heroes thoughts yeah no this is a really good this is interesting because i don't feel like enough attention is being paid or enough theorizing is going on about what bran wanted to send in the raven that he he clearly needed to send after that vision right right Wh- who what is what is his goal there is his goal to alert john that hey this is a trap i could see that doesn't seem like he communicated that very well. Well, he might not have had time, right? Mm. He might have sent this raven off and John was already gone. Mm. Um, or maybe he didn't understand it was a trap. And that's why the fact that this is his inexperience as a green seer and the yeah. fact that the Night King has a lot more experience, 8,000 years to be precise, and he's just getting outclassed. Yeah. Um, but this is something he can learn from. Um, but, that, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why mm. I'm – I w- I think we went a little lighter on like well it's this is on because like anything to do with Night King is so mysterious that like it, I right. can easily believe 
that we all slapping ourselves in the forehead like, oh, I can't believe we didn't see this plot unfolding. Uh-huh. You know, believing Cersei Lannister is going to change to be a compassionate person that <laughs> has the good of the realm in her heart, that's a little harder as well. The Night King, he's a blank slate. Mm-hmm. So I actually like this theory again. He also wanted to defend the chain bit, which I know you're over, but yeah. for people that aren't. He goes, um, when John is defending the wall at season four, episode nine, the giants and mammoths have huge chains to break the outer doors in Castle Black. Since most of these wildlings and giants north of the wall now answer the Night King, I'm sure he also has their wares. Sure. Easy explanation for where you can get giant chains. Mm-hmm. Now, that just passes the buck to where the hell do the wildlings get these giant strong chains when they Sunken can't, boats. They can't forge steel know. armor or anything. But yeah. anyway. Cassie C. I'm rewatching season three and I'm realizing how much is coming back from this season. I, f- I found the part where Mel and Arya meet very interesting. When her brotherhood sells Gendry to Mel, Arya stands up to Mel. Mel looks in her eyes and says, I see darkness in you, and in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes, eyes sealed forever shut. We will meet again. Do you think they'll meet again in the show? Being that there are only six episodes next season, do you think they will bring Mel back to Westeros and reunite her with Arya? I almost feel like they have to <laughs> like with I, I i don't know i mean well, how clearly does melisandre see her prophecies we know she's clearly, been wrong before clearly through a a a a, a window darkly <laughs> yeah and and she has pointed the finger and said hey this is you that i'm seeing in the prophecy before and she's been wrong and she also says when i come to westeros i will die that true yes and she's already and left Arya's, westeros Arya's got her on the list she's got her on the list it seems like they're i know i don't know what would be dramatically satisfying particularly about that but you know if you put these two statements of melisandre together she's going to come back and be killed by Arya. yeah and, and i think one of the interesting things to think about is why she would come back if she knows that this is the case. Maybe she just has to fulfill I mean, prophecy. Yeah. Like, yeah she might be to, that on board with I it. I mean, that's like, there's precedence. Like, that's essentially like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, sure. I don't yeah. want to do this, Dad. This is going to suck. You got to uh, do it. Please let this pass cut before me. Nope. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I'll go through with it. Like, yeah. And that's the same thing with Jojen. Like, he knew that he was going to a bad end, but he did it anyway because he believed in the cause. So, right. What I'm saying is Melisandre's like Jesus. Yeah. She <laughs> pretty much is. Yeah. Yeah. Big on burning children, both. Oh, God. Uh, suffer not the little children to live, is I think what Jesus said. <laughs> it is. Um, anyway, Joshua C., on the spoiler lore for Season 7, Episode 6, could you talk about the backstory between the conversation with Jorah and Thoros and him charging the breach at Pike? Mm. I can't. Can you? It's one of the things I love doing most is filling in backstory. Uh, so Thoros of Mir was born in the free city of, wait for it, Mir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he had to, he has a large family, and he was the youngest. And I guess they don't have the wall over in Essos, so he was quote unquote given to the Red Temple uh, at a very young age. Mm. And uh, he was a devout priest, but his human foibles kept kind of like bringing him down. He liked drinks. Yep. He liked his drink. He liked to fight. He liked to fuck. And those are things that kept him from being kind of like overly pious. Pious. I say pious, but um, I don't know. So what I didn't know, because I did some research, and I didn't actually know this next point, that he was sent to King's Landing because the Red Priest saw the Mad King's obsession with fire mm-hmm. as like, hey, we got an in. We could be the next big thing in Westeros. Like, fuck the old <laughs> gods. Fuck the seven gods. We're the, the hot new missionary. god. We're the hot, literally new god. And they sent him over there to kind of 
to to, to meet with King Eris and uh, convert him, and mm. King Eris didn't give him the time of day. Hmm. Um, so he came became disillusioned when the you know he saw the limitations of his faith and what his god could do because he thought it'd be a, a sure thing. So then he started to turn to drink and whoring even more heavily. Um, him and Robert became good friends during the conquest because they, you know, they're essentially two peas in a pod and they like to whore and drink together. And Thoros was a staple at uh, King's Landing tournaments. Uh, he defeated Gregor Clegane oh, three geez. times what? in a melee. Or no, I'm sorry, not Gregor, Sandor. Because he had the, the hound, he really? Had the, he, had the, he had the fiery sword and, oh, and he, he, could, yeah. he couldn't deal with it. It's almost like, like cheating. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, after Robert's Rebellion, he volunteered to go on this military campaign to pacify the Iron Islands during the Greyjoy Rebellion. And he got, like, I mean, it's essentially what Jorah said. He got rip-roaring drunk and whipped himself into a battle frenzy and was one of the first through the breach in the wall uh, and was just a, fought like a madman that day. And Jorah <laughs> was also at that, at that. That was one of his, the first times he got to cut his teeth on combat huh. um, and saw it firsthand. So there there you go. And he was just a drunk fighting fucking monk until until uh uh Beric Dondarrion came and, and, and changed his life forever. Nice. Uh Hunter from Memphis. I hate being nick picky on who can be burned by fire when it comes to Danny, but I found something similar that's really bugging me. Back during the Hard Home episode we learned that Valerian Steel absolutely kills White Walkers. This definitely supports the legend from the text that Valerian Steel may be forged by dragon fire. Though, last episode, when the Night King gets an arrow to kill Viserion, he walks through fire that has to be dragon fire. I assume there's an extremely small chance that fire could have been from Beric's sword, but that seems very unlikely. I know we've seen White Walkers walk through fire, I think, in the door, but if you assume it's true that Valerian Steel is forged by dragon fire and Valerian Steel definitely kills White Walkers, does it make sense that White Walkers would be unaffected by dragon fire? Do you have, I mean... I mean, I don't it's... think I don't think I have to do research to necessarily rebut this one. I'm curious to see what you would say. I, I mean, it's a, I don't know the interaction. Like, what is what is special about the Valerian steel? Right? Is it the right. the combination of the dragon fire and the steel? Um, do they work? That makes it work, effective. Do they work obsidian in there the way you work carbon in the steel to make it stronger? Like, right? Like, what goes into the Valerian steel aside from the dragon fire? Right. If that's even a thing, like that's a sure. That's, that's speculative. Yeah. This is Valerian steel is essentially unobtainium right now. Okay. We yep. don't know what it is and what its properties are. We just know that the art of making it was lost during the Doom of Valeria. Um, other thing I want to say is there's a distinction between dragon fire and shit that dragons set on fire. There is? Well, I mean, wow. I think if Drogon breathed dragon fire on a house, yeah. the resulting conflagration cannot be called dragon fire. It's okay. a house that's on fire because of the dragon fire. It's like, yeah. you know, if I, if, I mean, if I take a torch and I set it, uh, it on a thatch roof... Is the roof burning of the the heat of torch fire? The problem, or is it now burning because it's all fucking on fire? Right. So, like, if he's set, if he's walking through grass that's on fire because Drogon breathed on it, is the grass dragon fire? Doesn't seem like it would be. But- I I really don't know. Like the trouble here I'm having is the distinction between different like types of fire because. Right, like if I said in the real world, fire is a thing. Like, yeah, and fire spreads, and fire 
but fire is just fire. Right. There, I mean, yeah, there are different like color flames, and some is hotter. And I guess like wildfire, you could say yeah. like, you know, you can't melt steel with your stove, but but you could melt it in a fucking. Are you making a nine eleven joke? Because I fully no, support it. God. Like that. <laughs> no, God, no, I'm not. <laughs> Dragonfire can't melt steel beams. Damn it! I'm just it saying, can't melt steel steel chains. You can burn things at different temperatures, right? Uh huh. So like, yeah. You know, maybe the White Walkers are affected by the super ultra hot dragon fire, but right. not by uh, mild flame. Like if you drop napalm on a, dr- a jungle and the jungle then burns, did the whole jungle burn because of napalm flame? Or did a napalm start a fire right, that once then it starts spreading, became it's... a conventional forest fire? That's the yeah. that's the question. You know, that's what I'm saying. I is like know. there's like multiple suppositions in this question are stacked up, stacked up, and we can't say either way. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> Uh, this is all. I feel like this whole thing was t- far too technical, and we should have just said, "I don't know." What's it? But the, anyone can say that. It takes an award-winning <laughs> podcast to 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 make a five-minute conversation into napalm and yeah, I don't know all that kind of fire. Um, podcast fire. Alex G. What does the finale episode this weekend have to deliver for you to remain emotionally and mentally invested in the show as opposed to just appreciating it for the spectacle that it is? Is there any misstep that would cause you to view the last season the same way you guys cover The Walking Dead? This is the final email. It's actually probably more appropriate for the main podcast, but then the game the game's over. We can't play it. Yeah. Um and then it's a really good question because I can it's more easy for me to think of things they could do to completely win me back than it is for things that they could suck so hard to make me completely out on season eight. Right. Because it's also like, it's a different question. Like we know there's only six more episodes of walking dead and it's go. There's not a threat of 10 more seasons of walking dead where it can continue to decline and deteriorate and become a shit show. Sure. Sure. There's a, an end date. Um, I mean, to me, it needs to maintain some sort of plot intrigue. You mm-hmm. know, it can't just be a race to the finish where the finish is obvious and we're just trying to get there. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know, I, I really next episode want more revealed about Littlefinger's. Um, I, I don't even know if he has a plot in motion. I, I assume he does. But Littlefinger's fate, I mm-hmm. guess. Like, is this going to be the moment where... He stepped over the line and he's overplayed his hand and he gets caught. Is this going to be the moment where he's once again triumphant with his his political and, you know, chaos skills? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want them to do something smart with Arya, Sansa, and Littlefinger in this next episode to to really hype me up for next season. Alan Seppinall had this thing where he says it's always a bad idea to give the showrunners like the end the show, but then tell them you've got two more seasons because hmm, okay. he cited several examples. But the one that I remember was the Americans this last season. They're like, okay, you're, it's, it's your critical darling, but the ratings aren't there. We're gonna give you two more seasons to wrap it up. And Alan Zeppelin said that this season Americans was essentially the showrunners clearing their throat for a whole season because they can't start anything new because it's got to be wrapped up, but they can't wrap things up. So no, yeah. no matter how interesting you can make it, you're you're essentially just just treading water. And he's wondering after the kind of low key debacle that the last two episodes have been, um, if if the double D's like when HBO says or when they said, okay, we got one final season, we'll split it in two. If that was a fatal mistake, 
like even if it would have been hell on earth to do do ten do a final ten episode season and you just definitively end it because you're just kind of like treading water and trying to keep all these balls in the air and you can't ever end anything and I yeah I I don't know because it feels like there might be something to that like saying that you got one more chance to end it. Or planning on ending it at a particular day is, is better than saying, well, there's going to be a two-parter. And the first half can't be the end, and it can't be the beginning, and it's too late to be the middle. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Hmm. It's an interesting hypothesis. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, it's it's weird to me because I feel like Game of Thrones has almost too much to do mm-hmm. in these final two seasons. It I wasn't a, a matter of like, oh, well, we now can't can't start anything new. It's like, holy shit, we have how many episodes? Right. We've got to get this thing done. Because, like, I'm somewhat shocked that both Cersei and the White Walkers appear. Now, I don't know what's going to happen next episode. Maybe Danny breaks the faith and just melts King's Landing down mm-hmm. and kicks off this Mad Queen storyline. But, like... It, if you'd have told me at the start of the season that both Cersei and the Night King will be on the battlefield and essentially no progress has been made, I would have been amazed and dismayed hmm. because that would have felt like the epitome of of dragging your feet. Yeah, but it it also but it very much doesn't feel like that, right? I mean, things have definitely happened. Yeah, like fra- whole houses have been wiped off the map, but they weren't. They did not feel like turning points. I guess the one the one place where so I, I think you're right for the most part like this whole plot of going north and getting this white and bringing it south feels like treading water to me because it doesn't feel like it's ever going to work right like there's nothing good is going to come of this right um, the one thing I think has been progressed um, is Danny's side of the equation like her armies have been pared down a bit. You know, that feels like progress to me, like evening of this this battlefield. It's kind of the same kind of frustrating. Oh, she's got marine and ships. Oh, now the ships are burnt. Oh, she got dragged. Right. Oh, now the dragons are like what I'm got. Like it, it feels a little bit like she went to Westeros, sure, mm-hmm. but she burnt a thousand wagons, and that's the extent of her campaign. <laughs> the Battle of the Thousand Wagons. She's learned some lessons. I uh-huh. I, I I feel like her. Her storyline has progressed the most of anybody. All right, fair. Um, and in and, and John, there's a lot of progress on John's front. The fact that you know uh, his leadership is king of the north, and like the the ice and fire relationship they got going with Danny. Yeah, just aside from this whole stupid white thing. Um, yeah, I think you know hooking up with Danny is important. So I want to put forth some modest expectations. Okay. I want the resulting dialogue when Cersei and Danny and John and Tyrion and Jamie and Varys and Kyburn and Davos sit down at the table. I want it to be at least as good as the dialogue we got between the Magnificent Seven. Okay. And if they yep. if they have witty crackling dog where people score points and like th- people are persuaded and like plans are set and for and it's entertaining, then I think that's the minimum they need to do to keep me. They want to like really really get me going then there's one 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 simple thing they could do <laughs> they 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 just go full Clegane bowl and then sure, all will yeah. be forgiven right yeah i can and he- i, think I can that, hear the horns that conversation obviously is going to be is going to have a different tone right it's going to be very tense mm-hmm. and it should be and i think if they can nail that tension and they can like you said also have characters like sling and zingers you know 
um, at each other. I think that'd be cool. The other crafty thing is that that conversation with Danny and and Tyrion where they're talking about traps versus no traps and all that and that was oddly unfinished because essentially Danny stormed off with their dragons and saved Jon. Uh-huh. I wonder, like, it would not at all surprise me if they do wrap up Cersei this next episode. Like entirely, she, she tries to do a double dirty backstab, and Tyrion's there to to, to parry it. And you know, it'd be great. They're if somewhere Varys between came melting, melt. Like I, they can't melt King's Landing, right? Because that would do that would that would. Well, I mean, they can, but that that's full on Mad Queen. Uh-huh. Um, and they can't let Cersei win, so I feel like Cersei will pull some shit, and <laughs> they might neutralize Cersei. I, I yeah. and I can't think of how it how it would go. Maybe that's the Clegane Bowl that like you know she tries to k- take him hostage, and the mountains is, is, is killing dudes, and Sandor stands up and and puts an, puts an end to him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly how it's going, but like I guess it wouldn't surprise me seeing that this is going to be like a ninety minute extravaganza mm-hmm. that that they do wrap up that because if they don't wrap up Cersei or the Night King this season's gotta feel somewhat anticlimactic because I was expecting yeah. I was expecting like the start of the war for the 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 the, the night the long night part two to be underway by the time this the, and it hasn't it hasn't even started there's been a skirmish yeah. and the Night King got a dragon which that's cool and all but uh-huh. the battle hasn't really been engaged that's true um I feel like we're very quickly approaching the end of Varys's usefulness, mm. and I think it could be interesting to have Varys as their, you know, surprise backup in King's Landing. Like maybe, mm. you know, Tyrion and Danny have been so concerned about these other battles that they've been fighting, they haven't paid attention to what's going to go down yeah. as closely as they should when they get to King's Landing. But maybe Varys is because Varys is that kind of guy, right? He'll mm. he'll go in with the contingency plan. Um, because, I mean, once Cersei's out of the way, once King's Landing is resolved and Danny's essentially queen and the only battle left to fight is in the north against the Night King, what good is Varys? Yeah. I mean, he, he'll be... I mean, so you're saying he's disposable but also would be a, a big blow to... I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to dispute any of that. Yeah, I just mean, like, his... The thing that he's best at is no longer relevant, which is like the political maneuverings and uh, and scheming behind the scenes. Right. The Night King doesn't give a shit about any of that. Right. You're never going to out scheme the Night King because the Night King is going to run not, you you're over. You're not going to bribe his lieutenant no. or infiltrate his camp or anything. Like yeah, that. he yeah. doesn't play the politics game. I do. I do feel like that. I would be. That's another thing. Like that's that's my over to moon hope is to somehow in a believable way, Danny and John come up, pull off a coup, and they they have King's Landing under their control and essentially all the realms of men yeah. are united and Finally, the board is yeah. set for an all-out war extravaganza next season involving the Night King and John and Danny. Yeah. I don't feel like that's going to happen because the, the the whole throat clearing, feet dragging thing Alan Seppenwall is talking about that I'm afraid is true. Mm-hmm. But that would be like, I would almost overlook everything if, I mean, I, I don't know if you could retcon it to like, 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 like like that John and Danny knew that she wouldn't believe this that they were just trying to get in a room so they could let her be act a fool and they could take advantage of it but that would be super satisfying if this is essentially a good guy trap mm-hmm. like we know she's not going to believe that like best case scenario she believes this and she she joins their her swords to ours worst case scenario she does something that Cersei's going to do and we jump her yeah and then we win King's Landing without firing a shot but what if, hmm. but that, I, that leaves Jamie on a hanger that's like not very satisfying. Valencar. 
because if she pulls this shit against, oh, oh, okay. and then he has to be the one that he that, that is, he's he's adds queen slaying to his belt notch. Maybe maybe he totally buys takes into them both the, out the the White Walker stuff. You know? Yeah. Oh, I think he will. And, and he tries to get Cersei not to see fool. it, and she won't see it, and he realizes the realm is at stake once again. And right. And she's it's not wildfire the, this she, time. It's something she's much bigger. The dragon dome to blow up with wildfire, <laughs> or something like that. Like right. I right. could see yeah. like that would instantly win the war. It would be. I some, feel like I'm getting too hyped about our own concocted. <laughs> <laughs> here, and that anything they do next week is going to be a letdown. But that's like that's that's I, I was like, how does that happen? But yeah, Jamie is the Valonqar. That's something that everyone. But yet, it makes a it, lot of sense. It, it feels like something everyone's got their eye on, but they've taken it off the ball in this lap because of the debacle of the last. So yeah, yeah, that. I mean, there's just one scenario where they could win it all back, and I don't know if they could retcon it to be that's the hero's plan all along, but. That would go a long way. And this is us without all the knowledge they have in right. five minutes coming up with an the awesome scenario. The double Ds have at least seven working days to come up with <laughs> right. a better a better plan, at least. Yeah, so they might come up with something cooler. And they might not take lunch. They order in Subway. Like, those are working <laughs> lunches. Extended to, like, seven and a half days. They, 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 they don't clock out till six thirty seven o'clock. Their wives are pissed <laughs> at them. It's just, yeah, I, I think they could do a better job. All right, um... So yeah, that's 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 I I think it's this is not this is not Walking Dead territory. It's nowhere no, God, near. No. Like hmm. like again, even if they completely shit the bed to see, I'm still. It's like you know, it's six more episodes. It's a year and a half away. Yep. And it's, there is nothing else like it. This on television, even when right. it's even when it's got a, a D plus a plus plot and it's executing on a B minus level, it's still pretty good and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Gets my heart going. Gets my heart thumping. So uh, that's the uh, spoiler podcast for this week. Be back for at least one more, probably two, mm-hmm. if I if I'm w- w- reading the winds of winter correctly. Um, w- if you'd like to send us feedback, you can do so Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can also there's rip roaring discussions all the time on our forums forums baldmove.com, and follow us on all the social medias at or slash baldmove. Uh, we're excited. We only got two more days. Yeah. It's to find, it's to, it, enjoy it for what it is because it's the last one we'll get for <laughs> a lot until 2018. It's true. 2019, 20, even yeah. So bu- buckle in for the the law for the long watch to begin. Um, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Have a great weekend.